From my earliest memories, I can remember my mother and father singing together. And my brothers and sisters, my eldest brother, youngest brother, they play the, they play the piano. My little brother plays the guitar much better than I do. Uh, but from my earliest memories, these hymns were in my head and in my mind. And yes, in my heart. The hymns that we sing, they are, as has been said by smarter people than me, they are sermons that are set to music. And think of the hymns that we raise today. The, the doctrine, the, the love that was expressed, the love of God that was expressed in those hymns. The beauty of it. So from my earliest memory uh, of uh, my home, uh, my, my upbringing, my background, was that my mother and father loved the Lord. Now, I want to say this. I want to say this not, as a, not to disparage my parents, but my mom and dad had problems. I don't know. Some of you are moms and dads. I don't know if you have problems like my mom and dad did. But they had problems. They had money problems. They had discipline problems with their children. They had all kinds of problems. And yet somehow or another, they were able to move through it, not give up. You might have looked at their lives and you might have said, this is not really the kind of Christian life. You want to say, you want to live a life like Josephine and Grant Stafford. That's the kind of life you want to live. Now maybe you wouldn't have said that. You may have held them up as a model of how to live a Christian life. But I want to share something with you that deeply impressed me. My mother died 53 years of age. She had 10 children. There's 26 years separating the oldest to the youngest. 53 years of age, my mother died. 26 years of her life, I guess, if I'm doing the math right, I kind of like Calvin in this department. Not that good at math. But that's about half of her life she spent pregnant. When my mother was diagnosed with cancer, they did everything they could to save her. They did everything they could. She was laying on her deathbed, and the local preacher comes, and he sits down with her, and he holds her hand, and he says, Josephine, you know, you're about ready to enter into eternity. Are you afraid, Josephine? My mother responded, no. I'm not afraid. Why? Because, she said, I know in whom I have believed. Now, all of us, our lives are messy. Well, maybe there's some of you. I shouldn't group you into a life like mine. But my life is messy. It gets messy from time to time. And... We as people are oftentimes messy. But I think of my my mother in particular as she entered into eternity unafraid and trusting in Jesus. And that's the kind of departure I want to make from this world. My life, people may look back on it and say, what a messy life. But God give me the grace, the courage, the confidence that when I enter into eternity, I can, like my mother, say, I am not afraid because I know in whom I have believed. Now, my father, a different kind of character, a good man, as far as men go. Moments before he entered into eternity. Well, let me take a step back. He had been going to the hospital every couple of months or so, and they would drain his lungs. He had congestive heart failure. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the lungs kind of fill up with fluid. And and they had this process. They were able to drain the the fluid from off his lungs. And he had been going, you know, a couple of months. Every couple of months he'd been going, and they'd been doing it. And I was told he's going into the hospital. I said, okay, well, same thing as always. He's going to go there. They're going to drain the fluid, and then he's going to go back home. Well, this particular visit, he went and... uh, they tried to drain the fluid from his lungs, and they said, can't do it. Your, your, your lungs have become uh, too, too hard to a point where it's kind of like uh, that, that bubble wrap. There's nothing we can, we can drain from your lungs. And my father said, oh, well, uh, I, guess, uh, I guess I'm going to die. 
My sister was there kind of like, you know, shocked. Shortly thereafter, as he's laying ready, ready to enter into eternity, all the boys are there except for me. He calls the boys over. And they all get up next to my dad because, you know, he's having trouble speaking at this point. He calls them over. And they're waiting for that, some deep, thoughtful comment that would come from a man who's about ready to enter into eternity. And they bend down and they put their ear close to him. They want to hear it. And he says in this very weak voice, I, I could still take you all. My father, you see, he entered into eternity unafraid and trusting in Jesus. His last moments, he was able to bring some uh, joy to those who were sorrowing. He told a joke before he enters into eternity. I, my parents, in that regard, I owe a great deal uh, to my parents. Before I go on, am I, am I doing? I'm, I'm failing in the technology department today. <laughs> All right. Before we go on, uh, I'd like to, uh, if I could, uh, share. Uh, I don't know if I'm okay. Share a hymn, and I'd like for you to sing with me, if you could. Do you know the words? If you don't, just make it up. I do, often. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Sit by, knowing not it was for me. Died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and forgotten all of the sermons I heard at church, those hymns, they stayed with me. Growing in a, in a home like I did, there was never a moment in my life where I said, I don't believe Jesus. I don't believe in him. There is no such thing as Jesus. There is no God. Never in my life did I ever think that. I grew up in a home where, of course, he was, you know, a, a topic of discussion. He, he was 
on the lips of my mother and father. And I, I never thought for a moment that he doesn't exist. So you might say that I had a mind that was illuminated. But illumination, my brothers and sisters, listen carefully. Illumination does not equate salvation. It doesn't equal salvation. Illumination is you know. Salvation is you believe. And what it means to believe is to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to have a unique individual relationship with Him. When I was about 13 years old, incidentally, I told my big brother about my, uh, my testimony as I was sharing it about the different experiences. He's very familiar with it all. I said, when I was 13 years old, he said, no, you weren't. You were 11. I cannot stand big brothers that know everything. But, but he told me, no, you were 11. But I remember it as 13. And it's my testimony, so I'm going to tell it the way I remember it. So at 13 years of age, I heard a preacher uh, really impress the point that if we did not believe in Jesus Christ, we were on our way to hell. I did not want to go to hell because I believed that there was a hell. And I believed that if I didn't do what he said, that I would go to hell. And so the answer to the problem was to say some words that sound something like this. Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of all my sins and save me from hell. And I was told that if I said those words... That if I said those words, that I would have my sins forgiven and that I would be uh, given eternal life and I would not go to hell. And that there was no real necessary response on my part. It was basically a one-way street. God's going to give you everything. You don't have to give anything to Him. If there's anyone here today who thinks that you can approach... Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we have to work for salvation. What I am saying is this, is that when you have truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will want to do something for Him. You can't help it. And if in your heart and your mind you're saying to yourself, I got a great deal here, I'm not going to hell, and I don't have to do a thing, and I'm happy about it. There's a problem. It'd be like somebody getting married and saying, I want everything this person has. I want all the gifts they have. I want all the, all the, all the treasure they have, all the pleasure they can give me. But I don't want to do anything for that person. Can you imagine the matrimonial bliss there? Sometimes I think marriages, they struggle in that department because there are people who actually have that mindset. I want what I want. And if I get what I want, all's well. If I don't get what I want, Katie, bar the door. It's going to be a bad day in Dodge. So I entered into this relationship with the Lord Jesus, making a public profession of faith in Him that, that, that I, I didn't want to go to. I, I believed that He existed. And I, I will tell you once again, there was never a time in my life where I didn't believe that there was a historical Jesus, that He was the Son of God, that he died on the cross of Calvary, that he was buried, that after three days he arose and ascended up. And there was never a time that I can recall that I would reject that. I said, no, no, I don't believe that. I heard somebody share their testimony the other day, and it was interesting how the brother shared the testimony. He said, I was converted in 1985. And I thought to myself, that's interesting, the choice of words. It was deliberate. He didn't say, I believed in 1985. He didn't say, I was saved in 1985. He said, I was converted in 1985. Because I believe there is a difference between uh, belief in the sense of acknowledging, this is right, and there's a difference in the sense of believing, this is right, and then I must trust and believe that apart from this one person, Christ Jesus, apart from him, I have no hope of heaven. Apart from him, I have no hope. I have nothing, no hope. And so the, the, the conversion process, it's, it's, it's when you become a new man or a new woman. Does that make sense to you? 
That, that's being converted. Uh, because prior to being converted, you're still the same old man. You might have a head full of the gospel. You, 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 you might have believed everything the preacher has said. But if you're not converted, it, it, it really doesn't mean anything. You know, part of conversion, it means repentance. You know, there was a brother here many years ago. Dear brother, had a tremendous impact on me as a young man. His name was Don Gustafson. Some of you remember him. He said to me one day, he said, you know, Tim, the only evidence of conversion is continuance. It means something, right? Even the Lord Jesus said that. He says, you are my disciples if you continue steadfastly. If you continue. So this brother, as he shares it, that that the, the only real evidence of salvation or conversion is continuance in the faith. And therein is the struggle for some of us because continuing in the faith is not, not easy. I don't know if some of you, like me, struggle in the faith. I struggle. I need help. I know that I can depend on the Lord Jesus. Sometimes... It's so difficult. I, I just have to say, help me, Lord. I can't even say what words I think might be appropriate at times. Lord, thou knowest! We continue on in the faith because he keeps us from falling. He keeps us in the faith. He keeps us moving forward. Blessed be his name. So at 13 years of age, I made this profession of faith. And I was full of zeal. I immediately, within, within a very short time, I wanted to start a Bible study in school. I wanted to get people together. And I, I just, oh, I was, I was sold out. And, and this must have lasted, oh, it must have lasted at least six, seven months. It, yeah. It was tremendous, right? Tremendous six or seven months. But after that, you see, there's, there's things that happen. If, if you're not truly converted, if the Lord Jesus hasn't taken up residence in your heart, if you're not in him and he's not in you, whatever profession of faith you might make, it's, it's, it's relatively, uh, it's not enduring. So after this, when I realized that, you know, this stuff isn't as easy as it seems and as easy as it sounds, I kind of fell away. And within a few short years, I didn't go to church anymore. I didn't hang around with uh, any, any of the friends that went to church. I dropped out of school because I thought, who needs school? I'm going to join the army as soon as I'm able. And, you know, I talked to my mother and I said, Mom, I said, sign the paperwork. Let me join the army. I said, my birthday's coming up here. Please just let me get out of this small town. I just want to get away from it. I want freedom. You see, I want to be free. I want to be free from the con- constraints of parents that don't let me do my thing. Man, parents are so restrictive. I mean, they don't want you to smoke. They don't want you to get drunk and to use drugs. They don't want you to have sex out of marriage. I mean, they don't want you to do all the things that are just so wonderful. Parents are such killjoys. And I wanted to get rid of those constraints that my parents placed on me. And I said, let me get out of this place. And I started to get in trouble. And so my parents said, you know, maybe we get this kid out of here. Maybe joining the army is the only way we can keep this kid from prison. So they signed on the dotted line, and I was able to join the army, and I was able to leave home, and I was able to throw off the chains that bound me, so to speak. And I joined the army, and wow, I met people who were just like me. My first assignment was in Korea, 17 years old, uh, forward. Uh, the most forward division in Korea was in the 2nd Infantry Division, about 25 miles from the DMZ. That was where mo- most of our operations were, was up, up along the DMZ. I was 17 years old, up along the DMZ, middle of January, February, the coldest time of the year. I was up there and thinking to myself, man, I remember how nice it was when I was home. There's, man, that hot wood stove, and man, I remember those were good times, you know. And uh, so I started to think about a little of those things. But every time that started to bother me, well, 
as soon as we were able to get back to base and get out in the town and, you know, kind of tie one on, those kind of thoughts, you know, they, 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 you know they, they're in the back of your mind. I lived a, a reprobate life from the age of 17 until I was about, oh, I guess I was about 35 or 36 years old. I had retired from the Army. I, I was given a year off. I was able to retire early. This is when Clinton, I don't know if you remember Clinton as a president, but he came in and he wanted to eliminate the army of all the old dinosaurs, you know. And can you imagine me at 35, 36 years old? I was considered a dinosaur, you know. I was one of the older ones, right? And so there was this exit strategy, yeah, for all those people. If you want to retire early, you can retire early. So at 36 years of age, I retired from the United States Army. And um, I went home. And I had saved up a little money. And so I wanted to open up a business, and I opened up this business, sandwiches, coffee, pizza, that kind of thing. And I thought, man, I am going to just do a bang-up business here. This is going to be great. I had the world, so to speak, by the tail with a downhill pull, and I knew everything was going to come my way. I knew it was going to work out well. Well, it's interesting. Businesses, you know, when you enter into them, they're like, uh, uh, I don't know, they're, they're like a money pit. It's, it's not money that you can actually, like, take out. It's like money you have to keep putting in. And, 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 and I realized very soon I wasn't a businessman, you know. And uh, I, uh, whatever little bit of money I saved, it, it, it was gone. And the summer business was over. I didn't have any vacationers there to buy things. All of a sudden, it was, a, it was, it was pretty desolate. It was pretty bad. So one day I go and I visit my dad, and I said, Dad, I said, I'm doing everything right. I get up early in the morning. I stay up late at night. I work really hard. I wash dishes. I do everything. I do all the things that I need to do. And yet, that nothing is working out my way. My father said to me, he said, Tim, you know, I think this is the problem. You have forgot or left your first love. So I did get a little bit of revelation in there, right? So, you forgot your first love. And, you know, thinking maybe my dad had missed a step here or there. I thought, well, was he talking about Wendy White? I knew in the ninth grade. Is that, is that who he's talking about? My first love? Is that, is that who he's referring to? And, and I thought, no, it couldn't be. But he talked to me a little bit more about it. He says, Tim, you remember when you made that profession of faith? You made that profession of faith. Not only did you say you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you said you were going to be a missionary. Do you remember how you said that? you remember how you said Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> maybe. You, you forgot your, your first love. Maybe you, maybe. Yeah. And it dawned on me when he said that. You know, my brother was in Vietnam. And after this experience I had in, in the uh, Baptist church in upstate New York, after this experience with this, this profession of faith, I wrote a letter to my brother while he was in Vietnam. And I, I included that line from the Apostle Paul. And I said, whoa unto me. Did you hear that? Whoa unto me if I preach not. The gospel of God. This, this was the zealous heart that I had as a little boy, you know. And I told my brother this, and my brother sent me a letter back. He says, is there something wrong with you? Yeah. But it's how I felt, you know. It's how I felt. So I remembered all of this, and it started to bring back these thoughts. And, and I thought, you know, uh, maybe my dad's got something. He said, Tim, why don't you, why don't you go back to church? He didn't tell me what church to go to, but I think he wanted me to go to the church he was going to. But I didn't want to go there because I didn't want to go there as a failure. And I was a failure at that point, lost everything. So I went to this little church I heard about that had a Korean missionary. And since I had the experience in Korea, I thought, well, I'll go there, you know, and I can, you know, meet a friend or whatever. And so I went there, and the first day I get there, he preaches on Luke chapter 13. I don't know, are you familiar with... Luke chapter 13. It's the story of the barren tree. Do you, do you, does that story ring a bell to you? Luke chapter 13, verse 6, it says this, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come at seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. 
I realized that was a message for me. The Lord had been seeking fruit for more than three years, I got to tell you. And he found none. That message, right to the, right to the, right to the heart, cut to the core. That message touched me deeply. And I thought to myself, I'll never go to this church again. I went home and, uh, I, uh, thought about it a little bit. And I said, well, maybe I'll go one more time. And so I, I continued, uh, to plan my next, my next visit to that church. Uh, In the story the Lord Jesus presents to the people here, he says there's somebody that owned a vineyard that had a tree in it that wasn't productive. You know, when, when you own something that's supposed to produce, it, 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 it's a bother that they don't. It's, it, it's, it's a waste. Like the owner said, why cumbereth it the ground? Why, why does it cumber? But I want you to listen to the grace, the patience, the loving kindness of the dresser, the one who took care of the vineyard. He said, give me one more year and let me dig around it and let me dung it. And then let's see what happens. Well, I realized what was happening in my life was that the Lord was digging around me. And those people and those things that were sucking the life out of me, he was cutting them off for me. And he was digging around because that's what they do. Have you ever seen a, a grapevine, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the actual vine growing out of the ground, not the branches, but the vine growing out of the ground? It's kind of thick. And sometimes it gets these things on them called suckers. And these suckers, as they grow on the vine, they actually take nutrients away from the, the vine. They take the life away from the vine. And so what the farmer will do is cut around it, not touching the plant exactly, but around the plant. And he'll cut off all of these things that are sucking the life out of the plant. And I realized this is what the Lord is doing in my life right now. He's, it's painful. All the friends I thought I had, that one by one, they were like rats off a sinking ship. You know what's funny? When you, you lose your money, sometimes you lose, you lose friends too. Isn't that strange? They're not really friends, are they? You know? Because if the only time they're around you, maybe they're good time friends, but they're not real friends. They're not friends who stick close to you. But there is one who sticks close to you. There is a friend closer than a brother. But the dresser, he's digging around it, and then he adds something. He says, and let me dung it. And boy, i got to tell you, at that point in my life, there was all kinds of dung in my life. My father would say things like this. He would say, Tim, you know, it takes a lot of manure to grow good roses. Well, I was up to my neck in it. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, what do I got to lose? Let me go back and hear... Uh, the next uh, thing this preacher might have to say. And uh, the next thing he shared with me was from, or was preaching on, was John 15. I don't know if you, uh, off the top of your head, if you remember that uh, uh, story either, but let me just read it quickly. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they were burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. 
so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth nothing what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. As the Lord Jesus is speaking there about him being the vine and them being the branches and about the only way they could produce fruit is if they abide in him and he abide in them, I realized there was a problem with me. I knew that I was not in Christ and he was not in me. For if I had been in him and he had been in me, there would have been fruit. Now the fruit I want to speak of here, you know, sometimes we go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. We... This is fruit, and, 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 and I'm in no way trying to diminish that. But there's a fruit here that he is speaking about. Number one, he's speaking about obedience. But, but the other fruit that he's talking about is love. You see, we need to love one another. We're professing believers in the Lord Jesus. Love one another. This is his... His commandment is that we love one another. You want to be fruitful, love one another. What greater gift, what greater fruit is there than love? And if we have love for one another, the Lord Jesus says, the world will know you are my disciples. It's not by how much money you give. It's not by how, much, how dedicated you are to the kids' club. It's, not how de- it's none of those things. It's love. All of the motivation for what you do, it must be based, the motivation must be love. Love for the Lord Jesus and love for his people. You know, I struggle sometimes. I, there's so many things I want to do, and there's so little time to do them all. I, I just... Um, uh, perhaps we can do a few more. One more. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny. Was the lonely he loved Golgotha There to lay down his life for me And if that isn't love The ocean is dry There's no stars in the sky And the sparrow
speaks and the sound of his voice he is so sweet the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gives to me within my heart is ringing and he walks process of hearing these two messages, one about not bearing fruit and that giving a certain amount of time to repent or to produce fruit, and in this my case, to repent, that the Lord would remove, take it out. And what does that entail? Well, I don't know, but it doesn't sound that good. Take it out. Cut it down. But the next Sunday, the message on John 15, it revealed to me exactly what the problem was. I was not saved. The Lord Jesus was not living in me and I was not living in the Lord Jesus. I needed to be saved. I went home that day. I bent the knee. I bowed the head. And in all sincerity, with a genuine heart, I said, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Save me. And tears began to flow. More than tears. Tears, and you know the kind of tears I'm talking about. This is snot-flowing tears. It's okay to be honest with you, right? And it began, and years and years of living in rebellion against the Lord Jesus, having been illuminated, but not having the good sense to trust Him and to believe in Him and to accept His gift, the gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness of sins, this gift to, to, to receive it from Him. All of the wreckage of sin that was in my life, the hurt that my children had experienced because of my sin, the problems that they were encountering in their life because of my sin. It wasn't just consequences for me, it was consequences for those who were connected to me. Because that's what sin does. It destroys. Do you think sin is going to spare your children? It's not. I called my father. I said, Dad, I can't believe it. I said, I'm really saved. He said, oh, thank the Lord. He says, we've been praying so long. I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when. We've been praying for so long. I want you to think about that. Man. My parents were praying for me. At this point, just my father. My mother had gone home to be with the Lord. My father was praying for me. He knew what I was going on in my life. He knew the struggle I was having. He was praying for me. Never stop praying for your children. They may be off doing whatever. Don't stop praying for them. Those hymns that you sang at home, those hymns that they heard in church, those sermons set to music are still in their head, they're still in their heart. 
pray that God revive it, pray that God bring it home to bear upon them that they might have the same experience that I did to realize I need to be saved and to bend the knee and to bow the head and ask the Lord Jesus to save me. He is very good and very kind. That's how I came to know the Lord Jesus. From that moment on, life has never been the same. Within a very short period of time, I sold the house I had in New York. I was given an opportunity to work for FedEx, an old army buddy who had... There's no way in the world he would have ever been able to find me except for one day I was traveling through uh, Hawaii and I stopped in a U.S. Army base there and met a, a mutual friend who, without any prior coordination, met this friend and said, Hey, I saw Stafford. And the guy says, What's he doing? I don't know. He's in bad shape, man. So he calls me and he says, Tim, do you want a job? He says, I'm a manager for FedEx Security and, and I'll bring you on if you want. And I took the job. <coughs> and I took the job and I worked in uh, at FedEx Security up in Atlanta for about nine months. Within a very short period of time, I was promoted to security specialist, and I came here uh, to Fort Lauderdale and worked. I could not find a church. I looked. I went to Calvary Chapel. I went to uh, First Presbyterian Church of Coral Ridge. I went here. I went there. I went everywhere. I couldn't find a church. I called my father. See, my father was very involved in my salvation and bringing me to the Lord Jesus. I said to him, Dad, I, I can't find you. I go to churches, and they're talking about the Lord Jesus, and they're, 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 they're really speaking nicely about him, but they're talking about him as if he's not really there. But you see, I need a Savior who's actually there. And even though I can't see him, I believe him and trust him. My father said, hey, you know, years ago, I met this group of people. They're called Plymouth Brethren. And he says, you can get a a directory from Waltrick Publishers. If you if you order this uh, this directory, you can get it. Well, I ordered it, <clears throat> and it came in the mail. And there was a young lady who was doing did the mail for FedEx, and she came to my office, knocked on the door, and she said, "Hey, I'm going to hold this directory hostage until you tell me where you got it." And I said, "Why would you want to know?" She said, "Well, you, me and my husband Al." We go to the Holly, uh, Boulevard Bible Chapel down in Hollywood, and and. Uh, We'll make an introduction for you if you want. And I said, uh, that's amazing. I said, yeah, I'll go down. And so Al and Nicole Alvarado were the first people that I met from Boulevard Bible Chapel, and they brought me down one Sunday. And that was that brother Don Gustafson stood at the door along with uh, the skinny guy. I think his name is Malcolm Skelton. <laughs> standing there, And met me at the door. And behind them, I could see this, this sign that it was Colossians 1.18. It was the, that embroidery, that cross-stitch. And uh, it was Colossians 1.18, that in all things Christ might have the preeminence. I said, this is a good start. And I went inside. And uh, uh, Bob had been outside helping people park their cars. And uh, uh, when we sat down and, and uh, the meeting started, I, Bob stood up and prayed. I said, man, they, they got the parking attendant praying here. <laughs> and And then... Malcolm prayed and, you know, others stood up and prayed and shared from the Word of God. And I just, one of the first hymns I think I heard was 165. We heard it today. Oh, Christ, what burdens bow thy... And once again, the faucets are open, the tears are flowing, and uh, I'm, I'm experiencing, I said, this, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Christ was at the center of it. Christ was, was the preeminent figure. And that's what I was looking for. And so... I stayed in Boulevard Bible Chapel. I was uh, mentored by some very good people. Al, of course, uh, one, but others as well. But, you know, when I say mentor, I don't mean they grabbed me by the hand, were walking me around town telling me how to do this and that and the other. What I mean is that they, by example, by example, I tell people that the, the, most, the most impressive thing I ever saw was this Don Gustafson again. You know, he was getting old. He had bone cancer, and he was having troubles, you know. And, uh, and, and he was... Uh, 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 we were all about ready to pray, and, and uh, uh, I hear this, you know, chair squeaking and, you know, a little bit of a disturbance. I look over to my, I was sitting right over there, and I look over there, 
And here's Don Gustafson trying to stand up, and he's kind of shaking like this a little bit. And his wife has got his hand under his behind, (laughs) pushing him up. That's what I wanted in marriage. Helping, helping one another, loving one another. That, that's, that's marriage. They two shall be one. And, and those, those little things, it made such a, a, big, a big impact uh, in my life. There are a thousand more things I can say about my testimony. How did I end up in Korea? All of these things. I, I want to say this, that uh, um, I, I, I'm very impressed when I come back to Boulevard. Um, I, 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 the things that impress me the most are those things that the Lord does without anybody really trying to make it happen. Um, uh, young couples uh, uh, who are getting married, they're having children, and the children are in the meeting, and they're growing up, and I, I see them you know, helping with the bread and the, the emblems and things like that, and they're, they're playing music, and they're doing these things, and I'm, I'm just so impressed with that. And it reminds me of something, you know, uh, the, the cycle of life, so to speak. There's, there's birth, development, then replication. And this is not only physical, but it's also spiritual, right? Is that we come to know the Lord Jesus, we're mentored in the faith, we're developed in the faith, and, and, and we're brought up to a point where we can be useful and of service to the Lord, and then we begin to replicate, meaning we get out there, we share the gospel, we give the gospel to people, they believe, and then God calls them out of the world and He calls them into the church. This is that, that, that process, this ongoing cycle. It's, it's not only physical, it's not only biological, but it's spiritual as well. And I see that going on here, and I thank God for it. I thank God for it. You know, many assemblies are shrinking. They're going away. God help us. God help us. Keep it together. Keep to the Lord Jesus. As He is keeping you, keep to Him. You know, it's interesting. In John 15, the Lord Jesus said, Abide in me. That's, that's, don't, don't leave. Abide in me. Don't leave. I want to say something else on my heart. Life can be difficult. It can be really hard. Marriage is not easy. It's difficult. Right? Yes? Is it difficult or not? Or is it just me? It's difficult. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep moving on. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. Be in that sense like my parents. Regardless of the challenges they faced, they kept moving forward. They abide, abided in Christ and He in them. They kept moving forward. They had failures. They had problems. They did not give up. I want to remind you once again of what Don Gustafson said. The only evidence of conversion or salvation is continuance. Continue in the faith. Don't give up. You got a problem here at Boulevard Bible Chapel. There's somebody you don't like. Somebody who spoke the wrong thing to you. Hurt your feelings. Grow up. Mature. Sometimes the way we respond to other people is the problem, not the other person. And in our understanding of that, we can give thanks for somebody who comes into our life that rubs us the wrong way. We can actually give thanks for them because our response to it is teaching us something about ourselves. Don't give up on each other. Don't give up on the Lord. Don't give up in your marriage. Don't give up in any of your relationships. Press on. What are those words that, I don't know if some of you knew Randy Amos, but any time I had a conversation with him, the parting word was always this. Press on. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. And I say that to you today. Keep pressing on. If I could, I'll leave you one, one more time. You may be tired of hearing me play. My heart can sing when I pause to remember each heartache here is but a stepping stone. 
along the trail that's winding always upward. This troubled world, well, it's not my final home. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy. Cause our heart to tremble Remembered there While they'll only bring a smile But until then My heart will go on singing Until then It's toil and struggle will take its toll of misery and strife. Well, so far, man, but it's like a boy hating falcon. bless you all and uh maybe uh, will somebody close in prayer or should me god our father in the name of thy son the lord jesus we come to thee we we're just so glad oh god our father for the family of god we're so glad that uh to have each other to to love to have each other to uh to encourage and to be encouraged by we thank you for this uh simple uh meeting format structure that you have given to us in thy word where no man is exalted where thy son the lord jesus has preeminence and where he is the one uh, who is uh, exalted who is lifted up and uh, is revered and we just thank you for this oh god our father help us always to uh, in in that regard to have humility to be humble Help us to remember, O God, our Father, as you have told us, you remember that our frame is but dust. Help us to remember, O God, our Father, that our frame is but dust. We just ask, O God, our Father, now that you would dismiss us with thy blessing. We thank thee once again for thy love and the son of thy love, the Lord Jesus, the one who loved us unto death and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We thank you in his name. Amen.